Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the VSuit podcast, the virtualization podcast that's striving to adopt the DevOps approach of release early and often. We've mastered it in bed, just got to carry it over to the show. <laughs> VSoup is having a bit of a deconstruction, so tonight we're joined by no one. It's just Christian, Ed and me. Hi guys, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. No, Excellent. good, good, good. I, I think we should probably talk about actually why we've decided to go guestless on this particular episode. Um, Christian, I, I suppose this sort of came out of a number of things. Uh, noticeably, sort of, um, Chad Sakach is uh, closing keynote at the, the Nordic VMUG. Do you want to sort of <laughs> that a bit? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's part of it, actually. Uh, another thing is, it's uh, uh, John Troyer. You, you uh, posted a, a, a recent post called Three IT Podcasts and Blogs That Need to Exist." And You're not one of them. No, that's <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't need to exist, but we do. Yeah. So, despite all odds. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing is, this whole guest thing is a bit of a a mess, to be honest. And we uh, love having guests on, and they're, they're lovely. Oh, okay. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not the messy guests that's the problem. The problem is scheduling them. Uh, and yeah. our we're we're three people, and we want to get someone on, and they might be two or three people as well. And finding time where we can actually get everyone online at the same time is really difficult. Still, uh, so, communication in that sort of thing can be. Uh, it is a little bit more complex, particularly when you add in time zones. Time zones suck. Which is basically the biggest problem. Yes. Uh, so I, 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 I kind of thought that, uh, 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 bringing it back to Chad's closing VMUG thing, that it was pretty interesting actually because he didn't talk uh, that much about tech at all. It was basically just the, the nature of disruption in a way uh, and how it might, it's not good or bad, in, inherently good or bad, but it's, it might be a driving force for change at least. Uh, and, and, and it kind of, I, I kind of wanted to get back to the roots a bit and just screw it, we'll do this on our own. And if someone has the time to join us when we have a scheduled recording, that's great. If not, you're stuck with us. Yeah, and people listen to the first V Soup that was only us. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess we, us three is different. Well, now you guys are both one partner, one vendor, one customer. I guess we have uh, some differences and some interesting things to say as, as well. I well it's not, if not interesting, we have something to say. Yeah, or we just that's, joke that's, around the whole time, which is also me. okay. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, we, I, th I think having guests is great, and I, I still think uh, we'll definitely have guests, but oh, yeah. in order to try and keep to a, a slightly more regular schedule, because, you know, I know people would like to listen to us, and if it was more regular, I think it would be, it would be nicer. And as this is, it is vol a voluntary thing that we do, um, and it's voluntary for our guests as well. So they have. Uh, daytime jobs that they have to kind of marshal things around and that can be quite complex uh, when they're the other side of the Atlantic. Yeah. But some of them are selling something or trying to sell something and it might even be part of their job, so... This is this is pretty true. I mean, I don't think... We haven't had too many people who are trying to sell something. Um, it wasn't... A sort of a hard and fast rule that we wouldn't have vendors on the show, otherwise, well, they'd be down by a third of the host. 
Um, but <laughs> that was the, our original rule, if you remember. Yeah, I think mm. the original sort of aim that it, it was an end user type type uh, show, and all things develop, uh, which is which is a good thing. They not quite a, a disruptive change because not all changes are disruptive change, as uh, as Chad was explaining that some things are just sort of an iterative change. Um, which is which is just as good. Um, and speaking of sort of some of the the disruption, and keep, we'll keep on that sort of theme for the moment, uh, I guess. Um, is it me, or has, has Twitter decided that uh, you know what we liked it when EMC and NetApp fought? Let's get some more people to fight on Twitter because it seems to be Nutanix <laughs> versus the world at the moment. Well, it's. It's Nutanix versus VSAM, at least. Oh, there's that fun music again. That wasn't me. No. Uh, this time it was me. It wasn't Chris's <laughs> weird pre-show noises that no one understood. Um, Just part of my warm-up routine, man. Then I really don't know want to know what you're doing. But that, uh, <laughs> Now we're going off on a tangent here. But, yeah, well... The Nutanix guys are, well, not everyone. Uh, a bunch of them are pretty aggressive. Yeah, uh, aggressive uh, in sales is, is fine, you know. That's how generally it's one way to get sales. I mean, you know, just, just ask many storage vendors. Just ask that, Quest, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it clearly clearly worked for them for, for quite some time. Yeah, well, then you have other examples like certain backup companies that... <clears throat> Don't do it the right way, even if they're aggressive. So that's something something different. But I, w- I won't have you comment on that one, Chris. We um, <laughs> wanted to keep your day job. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, but this I, I I find it kind of interesting that Nutanix, which is if we're we're talking disruption, uh, are trying to disrupt uh, pretty much. Uh, well, traditional storage, to put it that way. Well, they're trying to disrupt everyone. It's yeah. you know, I, I love the concept. It's, it's a great idea. But if you're going to pick a fight, you know, they're trying to pick a fight with not only storage vendors, but server vendors as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of those server vendors also sell storage. But, you know, if, you could, if you're going to try and pick a fight with HP and EMC, for example, you know, if someone's a if you're trying to displace a existing blade and EMC type shop, you can say, yeah, throw it all out and buy some Nutanix. And so, you know, you're going to have HP reps going, well, no, our, our blade servers are just as good. Um, and you're going to have um, HP, uh, so EMC going absolutely spare going, why would you, why would you want to do that? You know, you can't expand just a storage node you have to add compute at the same time and you you'll find that unless your compute and storage grow in exactly the same powerpoint modeled way which frequently they don't um then you're going to run out of one before you run out of the other and end up buying something you don't really need yeah um that's yeah okay um you know you could there's also people who are trying to sell essentially the software that drives that kind of um, decentralized storage infrastructure so so the vSAM and you know, to an extent a long time ago you had an Xcenter who had been quietly sitting in the background going hang on a sec isn't this what we already sell <laughs> yeah exactly 
Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, but the, uh, Nutanix has to fight that battle on two fronts now. You know, they have the uh, storage and server vendors on one one side, and all of a sudden you have VMware on the other side trying to basically create the same thing with VSAM. Yes, yeah, I think they they are sort of acting as if they've been sort of pushed into a corner, which is an unfortunate and unpleasant place to be, um, and. Perhaps it's coming across as them being quite aggressive about it, which I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a Nutanix customer, but I'm not too sure if if I was a potential customer, how happy I would be. Um, I've certainly personally had to unfollow at least one member of, of staff in there because I just I found it was unprofessional and really unconstructive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm unprofessional as the next man on Twitter. I'll, I'll write all sorts of daft stuff, but not necessarily daft stuff about. At my day job, um, there is a difference there. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a difference in perc- in perception uh, when you talk about stuff that's clearly not work related, and uh, when it's work related but in a, a, a let's say less professional manner. So yeah. I, I can joke around about a lot of stuff on Twitter without it having any. At least, in my opinion, not having any uh, reflection back on my employer, because yeah. that's me. That's not my job, and, and it's pretty clear that you can actually see the difference. I think. Yeah, I don't think you should have to sort of prefix or, or hashtag any any tweets that, that are like you know this, this is a personal tweet because uh, that, that would just be a bit daft. I mean, you might as well just have two Twitter accounts if you're going to do that, and some people do. Yeah. And if someone really is on there, even if they're not a vendor trying to sell something or whatever, and they're really slamming a product, it kind of turns me off to even want to read it as well. Yeah. Because that that kind of tells me there's like a lack of knowledge. What I've seen from anybody who says, oh, this product is shit, I don't like it, blah, 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 it generally means they don't know how to use it or they're using it incorrectly to some extent. <laughs> that or they just deployed Windows ME. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, or, or try to update Adele to eight point one, as I just found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it's a difficult thing, you know. It's a, but but it's it I, generally it kind of pays off, in my opinion, to be uh, a bit more humble about things. Uh, you might believe strongly in something, and you might be right as well. But it doesn't make everyone else idiots, and that's uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, passion is a great thing. Again, you know, we, we, this does seem to be like a personal advert for, for Chad on this one. But if you <laughs> take someone like Chad, who has a great amount of passion for his product, he also has an equal amount of respect for his competitors. Um, and so you can't say really anything bad about somebody like that. It's quite difficult to yeah. No, the only no, that's true. Uh, because he, he he is an example of how you can handle that stuff and do it in a proper way. Uh, he doesn't flaunt around being an asshat to everyone, <laughs> which someone else might. Although do. that does imply that he's not an asshat to everyone, but he has like a certain list of people that he can be one to. Um, which oh, I'm, I'm sure he would be good at that too. <laughs> You just have like the list. You just made the ass hat list. <laughs> <laughs> if he if if Chad now creates a Twitter list called Ass Hat, I'll be 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll follow that one. Uh, he, he might actually have done that after the uh, Nordic or Danish Vimug, though, because uh, one of the organizers, Nikolai, tried to book him it, in the pirate room at Lego, at Legoland, at the hotel, but it was, uh, sadly, it was booked already. Oh, so, no, I've stayed in that hotel, but I didn't get the pirate room. Yeah, well, Nicola tried to book the pirate room for Chad for the tour uh, they had the day after uh, uh, the Mean Mug. And sad, I, I was standing next to him when he called them, and it, sadly it was uh, it was booked. And so was the princess room, by the way. Uh, <laughs> which well, would have been hilariously funny. I've, I've just had to uh, decorate a princess room. I've, I've recently moved house, and... My my daughter's bedroom looks like an explosion in a candy floss factory. <laughs> um, it's it's horrendous. It's 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 really truly utterly terrible. Um, but I ha- I have been sort of assembling uh, an awful lot of self assembly furniture from a well known Swedish brand uh, over the last last week or so, and it kind of got me thinking about um, you know do you buy something off the shelf and packaged and ready to go. So I could have gone to a different furniture outlet, uh, which, you know, they're probably they're considerably more expensive. But, you know, if you buy a table, then a table gets shipped to you. You know, it's all ready to go and it gets some, somehow they find a way to get it inside your house and you have a nice finished table and it's ready to go. Um, or you can go to a another shop and have one that you have to bolt the legs on yourself. It's still a table. And depending on what you're going to do with it. Yeah. If I was. If I was a surgeon and that was an operating table um, and I was trying to do invasive heart surgery on it, then I'd be pretty specific. I'd want a table that's very steady and very solid and so forth. But if I'm only going to rest my keys on it because it's a table that's by the front door that I drop drop my keys into every time I get home, do I really care if it's a little bit wobbly at times? Um, And it got me thinking about sort of the whole sort of fit for purpose. And if you don't have the options when you buy something, if you can only buy something... You know that is as the manufacturer specifies. You know that's what you're getting. Um, then it's only good for that one thing. Whereas if you've got the ability to be able to tweak and add bits to it, um, and you know take some of the same uh, concepts that the, the ready-made solutions might have, as in it's a table with four legs, um, but I only want a small one. But actually, I want to put a drawer in this as well. Uh, that is that modular approach and the build-it-your-own approach. Um, inherit, although it's going to require a bit more work, and yeah, sometimes you stick, you hit your thumb with a with a hammer, um, but you know, thumbs heal. Is that inherently sort of more flexible and going to get you the results that you ultimately need, and ultimately a, a business would need? Um, well, if you're buy a, something shrink wrapped. If you yourself are a table expert buying a table, then you might do thing. You might. You might do things a little different. You might want the table to have special legs, or you might want to stain the table in a special way. You know, but if you just want to, like you said, if you just want to throw, if you want to do surgery on it, you don't know anything about tables, you don't care about tables. Yeah. Okay. You got to buy it from an operating table company. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, sure, you'll pay a little bit more. Or. Maybe quite a bit more, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Possibly more than the sum of its components. But there's a, there's a third option there. Uh, Software-defined tables. Yeah, exactly. 
And if you have to buy specialized hardware, is it really software defined? That's a paraphrase of Joe Bagley, uh, by the way. So all credits to him. But so if, you could just go and buy a whole load of building blocks like Lego and yeah. make a table out of it. Exactly. But you, ha you have the uh, one thing where you have no options at all and you get everyone uh, flat packed at your door and you have to assemble it yourself. And you have the other extreme where you basically custom uh, order something to do a specific task yes. or be an operating table. But there's a middle ground there and that's where I want to get back, kind of back to the vSAN bit again because I really think that vSAN from VMware will be really, really interesting if they ma if they actually manage to price it correctly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what correctly is, and I, I don't want to guess on what correctly should be. But if they do that part in a proper manner, it will be interesting to a really, really large amount of corporations out there. Well, um, let me step in as a customer here for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you go into if if the price is still high, um, you're not going to be able to compete compete with actual array vendors. Exactly. Yeah. If it's cheaper to go and buy the NXE, people will go and buy the NXE. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you get. I, I, I'm I'm guessing we'll see vendors like HP, Dell, IBM, or whatever deliver. Uh, vSAN uh, kind of uh, pre-qualified solution. Uh, some sort of VSAN ready or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, VSAN ready node. This is what you get for, you get this performance, you get this capacity, and you, then you can choose between different models, but that's what you get, which is kind of a, a middle solution of the Assemble it your own and buy a, a, a pre-configured one, which is custom or, or specified by the vendor. You get a middle ground there where you can decide what what do you want, how much SSD do you want, and how much uh, storage or capacity do you want. Yeah. Do you think um, you know that sort of thing is going to ultimately affect the blade market simply because you know these uh, these sand type solutions and sort of you know. Lo local local um, storage based solutions all require local storage and blades just don't have as much capacity to put local storage. Are we going to start seeing a swing back towards rack service do you think? If vSAN is getting as popular if, if it gets as popular as I, as I think it might be uh, that might actually swing that bit back uh, a bit in the data centers around, but what I'm seeing with the whole blade market is um, a consolidation thing. Rack servers are still able to; they're still handling uh, higher CPU count mm. and higher memory count than blade servers can. Yeah, uh, if you if you really need to consolidate down. Um, you can you can do the same. You can do it better with rack servers. Just in my opinion, yeah. The same amount of use, uh, rack space you can now put in quite a lot of rack mount servers and get basically more 
uh, more CPU memory and disk out of it than you would in a in a in a, in a rack cabinet anyway. Yeah, the but, main when I'm when I'm setting up a new cluster, the main thing I'm looking at is the number of CPUs and the size of my Numa nodes and stuff like that. Every time I looked at a blade uh, solution, I'm like, yeah, it's okay, but does it really fit my needs? I can make it fit my needs, but not really. Yeah. What about um, power density? Because I, I, I yeah. seem to recall um, data center at my last sort of customer job, um, we had a specified power density, you know, number of kilowatts per square meter. And due to that, if we had a fully populated blade chassis in one rack, you couldn't have anything in the racks either side of it. Exactly. Because you go over on your power density. So it kind of defeated the object. You might as well have just had a couple, you know, eight, eight two-unit servers uh, in a rack, which is still pretty low density within a rack, but it's not quite... It, it seems to me that you're actually using the space you're paying for. Uh, I don't think data center square footage is the issue. I mean, blades, you know, blades, I suppose, sort of grew out of when you have these beastie great big 7U and, and 8 yep. and 10U servers that were enormous, uh, great big monoliths of things. And then, you know, we kind of got down to 4U and a 4U server got was quite good. And then we got down to 2U servers and then 1U servers. Um, but you know, one new servers, I think, are still at that point. You know, that was that was almost for the pre-virtualization, the the single application server. You know, you'd yeah. have a domain controller, a DHCP server, a web server, blah blah blah. Now yeah. they're just VMs. Yeah. Yeah, I would say two U is the sweet spot for uh, for clusters at this point. Yeah. Because with a two U server, you you can, uh, I mean, you can have up to with Intel. 10-something cores with AMD stuff, 12-plus at the moment. Yep. Yeah, yeah you, you get a lot of stuff into two U's, and, and by using two U's, you'll also get room for drives and yeah. disks yes. and storage. No, you're looking at, um, what is it, you can fit it, so it's 14 disks or something? Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it can be interesting to see. There, there are also these... Um, storage blade kind of things uh, I know HP does uh, where you, you put a, a storage blade next to a compute blade yeah it's basically and like a sort of a disk isn't it? yeah it uses that as local disk uh, that also is, is a possibility if the, those controllers were actually uh, able to work with, uh, with vSAM uh, I've been looking at the, uh, the Dell Vortex uh, for a specific project now which is under planning which is a really interesting box yeah i've seen a couple of the uh the mugs and i kind of really hope that they would uh, stick a price tag on on one there and you know cause it'd be an amazing home lab yeah it would but like the current controller in the current uh per controller in there isn't uh you can't use that with vsan because it's a shared controller over the four nodes I, which kind of defeated the purpose why I wanted to look at it. Yeah, if you're talking, uh, that was almost the same exact uh, thing I had with Delphix. My my experiences is we we're building we're building small clusters with Dell MD thirty two hundreds and uh, R seven twenty for example. A Dell, if you're familiar with that model, 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's the fairly standard Dell 2U box. Yeah, now when the, the moment. my main problem with, uh, with uh, the Dell Vortex is also you don't have redundancy to the back end like you do if you bought an actual MD3200 with, uh, with the SAS connections. No, that's huh? true. But what you could do is if you have two of those boxes, you could use it. Uh, my idea was to use two of those and have two kind of blades or compute nodes in each one and not fill all, all the four spaces and then replicate the vSAN over 10 gig between them just to direct connect. Yeah. Ooh, that adds some, for me, that adds some, some trouble, some troubleshooting. Yeah, well, that, that's wrong. the fuck is. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't need fun. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old for that shit. <laughs> you just want stuff that works. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see where that kind of, kind of goes. I, 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 with my previous background, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking specifically for ship based installations, to be honest. And, and doing something like that would be, uh, a huge, in most cases, a huge improvement with regards to redundancy on the compute and storage side on a, on a, on a vessel, basically. Uh, because right now, I think most of them just run one box anyway. So, but it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I'm pretty sure that vSAN, if VMware actually does that pricing right and get partners on board that provide vSAN-ready nodes or whatever they, they might call it, I, I think that will be interesting, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, obviously that it will certainly um, take the jam out of certain hyper-converged vendors Donuts. Um, well, do said hyperconverged vendors also then try to sell a networking stack on top of it, or are you supposed to sort of daisy chain them? Because surely hyperconverged is everything. Yeah, but here's what's really funny about a lot of the hyperconverged stuff. There's like a network module in the back, especially if you're using FiberChan. I've used some of this this stuff, and there's um. There's modules on the back where if you had you were plugging into an existing fabric, uh, fiber channel fabric, you would have to create a new fabric just to link this stuff on. Oh. Because it's looking at itself as its own device, like its own fiber channel switch, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. That adds a, a layer, a bit of a layer of complexity also. Hmm. That makes sense. Makes sense. I haven't been able to play with any of these uh, solutions yet, so hopefully uh, I will be able to pretty soon. I'm, I'm, I have some, uh, let's call it bait out there for a couple of the vendors and see if I, if I can actually get my, my hands on some of the uh, phys physical uh, devices and have a, a play around with them. Uh, I received a, a Fusion I.O. Uh, card, uh, IO drive card today for in my Dell box. So I, I just mounted it. I haven't been playing around with it all that much yet, but it'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works. Uh, especially with regards to the flash read cache, uh, features in, in 5.5, uh, as well as with, uh, with Pernix FVP, FVP when that arrives in a 5.5 version, which is, it is, isn't there yet, but 
What about um, don't uh, Fusion.io have their own software as well? Yeah, they do. They do as well. So uh, I'll have a, a look at the IO Turbine stuff as well. Uh, I've used that at a customer site already on on 5.5. No, on 5.1. Uh, and it seems to work really well, but I want to compare all of those and see uh, see if there's any difference. Uh, Pernix and IO uh, Turbine from uh, Fusion IO, both of them do both uh, read and write caching uh, whilst in the name, uh, the vSphere uh, flash read cache is, is read only. So it'll be interesting to see how that scales in, in my lab as well. Thankfully I, have a, thankfully, I have an old uh, HP uh, MSA fiber channel storage behind it, so it should really be able to accelerate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, maybe start, some start of, something that needs acceleration. And do maybe some before and after kind of a, a iometer... Uh, Maps. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to do, and, and, and kind of create some comparison notes between all of those uh, different cache vendors, and then without anything, and see see what the the uh, the actual uh, the actual difference is. So, uh, but I'm also waiting on a, on an extra caddy for my IBM box. In this, in, so I can stick some some SSDs in there as well and, and use that as a uh, caching layer um, too. So my lab is kind of it's growing. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll be be able to secure one of those HPC three thousand chassis uh, with uh, over the new years. So I'll have that as well, which will be interesting to see how I can get all of that stuff to play together uh, with different vendors and different storage and different whatever. So. So you, you, you've got it on your Christmas list, and you never know, the Amazon drone might well you know, drop a package. <laughs> uh, well, no. Uh, well, I, I, know, I know of a C3000 that's being replaced or removed. So I've been given word that it's mine as soon as they actually remove it from, uh, from operation. So. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's good. obviously that's that's going to be a, a work-based lab because the blade chassis definitely has a very low wife acceptance factor. Everything I have in my lab now is at work. Yeah, <laughs> and it's um, my lab is growing pretty quickly, so it's uh, it's uh, pretty good actually. So yeah. I, I, I miss having a proper lab. Basically, I have no real excuses anymore for not doing my VCAPs. No. <laughs> I don't really have a lab anymore so much as I just use production. <laughs> yeah. You have a lab, you just have far east. <laughs> yeah, well, I, we don't have any production stuff at my at work. And everything's hosted centrally, so I have my own server room, basically. Uh, and I can do whatever I want. So. Yeah, it's not too bad. Nah. I, I like Ed's view. Of, yeah, he doesn't test, but when he does, it's in production. Yeah. <laughs> I also need my lab for my, I guess I should tell people now, but I, I, I've signed a book deal, which um, might be uh, the last time I do that. I don't know. Uh, it depends on the experience. <laughs> uh, we'll see how that works out. But I'm, I'm writing a book, which is supposed to come out sometime next year. So, hmm, Cool. Oh, it's, it's, it's all, all good for trying things new. Um, I uh, I had to uh, run a train-the-trainer course 
uh, the other week, and uh, it, it taught me it taught me one thing actually that I definitely don't want to go into sort of education and training. <laughs> That's what Rasmus does to you, isn't it? Oh, no, I don't believe it was, it was him personally. Um, no, I just I don't think it was. It's it's definitely not my thing. It's definitely not my thing. Uh, I don't have the patience for teaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nor do I really like people. So that's, that's another problem. Yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> a qualifying feature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, that would that would probably preclude you from teaching it if if you did actually admit that you were a complete sociopath. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it would explain a couple of the uh, the trainers I've had, <laughs> a couple of courses I did a few years ago. So, uh, <laughs> but then again, that was Microsoft stuff. So, I I used to teach Microsoft stuff back in the day. So. I, I was a was actually a, a Microsoft certified trainer at some point. Yeah, I've decided now. The only certified trainers I want are Nike. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, dealing with people uh, in that kind of uh, way is is interesting. I, I remember I used to do NT four training uh, for local people here in, in, in Norway. Uh, and they, one, one training session we had, or, or it's a five-day training course on NT4, um, I got these two bearded weirdos. <laughs> no, it wasn't you, Ed. Come on. Uh, you <laughs> you would qualify as a bearded weirdo. No, no worries, but it wasn't. Uh, and they were, uh, from the get-go, pretty... Uh, let, let's say uh, non-Microsoft friendly, which kind of in one of the uh, the uh, the breaks, I just asked them, "Why are you guys here? You you clearly don't want to be here. You don't want to learn this stuff. And why why are you here at all?" Well, they got sent there by work. They used to work on the in the Unix department at the local university, and now they were supposed to run the NT four stuff. Okay. That's not a good way to start training on NT4. <laughs> if you're hardcore Unix and hate well, Microsoft. I mean, the, I mean, the first two days of the course, you just got to tell people install Service Pack 6, right? <laughs> yeah, and then wait a bit. Yeah, and then like, yeah, let it run for a day. <laughs> See what happens. It'll, it'll be okay. It'll stabilize eventually. <laughs> uh, these, these two guys were the, the stereotype Stereotype Unix people, you know, they never seen daylight. That, yeah, well, now it's an interesting experience to train people, some someone like that, uh, where they clearly don't want to be there and not motivated to be there at all, um, and just someone sent them because they had to. Or you're going to get somebody that's a little too motivated to be there, right? Yeah, that's. They think that they know more than you. Immediately. Now you're describing me when I'm training. That's no fun. <laughs> no, man, it's terrible. Don't be that guy. I know. I know. Don't be that guy. <laughs> Never be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've done a, a, a few uh, install, configure, and manage VMware courses where I just had to zone out <laughs> and just do something else. 
<laughs> that's that's the way it goes, I guess. But um, about that book thing, that's that's going to be a, a a challenge, I think. Uh, with the publisher, we kind of. Uh, set a date for everything and we have a chapters all set and I know now what I need to deliver but I kind of remember back to when I was tech editing uh, a book earlier this year and, and I hopefully the uh, people who's going to tech edit my book is going to be just as mo much of an asshole as I was and then the, it might actually be good uh, but I'm, I'm kind of fearing that when I get the feedback back I, I won't be able to absorb that as easily as I wrote feedback to someone else earlier. <laughs> well, it's mostly factual, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, as long as it's factual, you know, no hard feelings. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely hoping that they would be as much of a nitpicking asshole as I was. <laughs> I hope I, I I genuinely hope they they are. Uh, that would actually make it better. I was going to so. say you should go for like a good a good amount of uh, peer review. Um, if you think about like um, when we had some of the guys from the um, was that, that community to the pocketbook that they did, where they had some pretty good peer reviewers. Uh, again, people who are really. Uh, with a good eye for detail to, hmm. to put a positive spin on it. Um, and, you know, you should probably suggest that, you know, get a few people who are renowned for being very detailed and going maybe a little bit too deep into things. Yeah. Um, I'd uh, be good. Yeah. Hopefully I'll be able to pull it off. It's it's something I, I've wanted to do for a while, but haven't kind of uh, decided on doing until I, all of a sudden I got a question about it. So, uh, specifically asking if I wanted to do this specific project, which was interesting uh, in from the get-go. So, it, it, I really don't think I'll make my first million on this. Um, it might be on something else, but it, it'll be uh, it'll be it, it, it'll be fun trying to write a book I think probably be fun when I'm done with it by the looks of things but cool thing about uh, <laughs> IT writing once you're done with it it's outdated yeah <laughs> this is true uh, <laughs> but, you know you only really have to see it on the market for like six months before it goes into the bargain bin yeah I find nowadays with sort of electronic distribution of books that are they looking for books to be released, you know, more frequent? Or, you know, if, if you're going for e-books, um, because there's no sort of um, print setup time or no minimum run, as it were, uh, that they can produce books more frequently. And as a result, there are more writers, you know, there's more opportunities for those that do want to write books because software is being produced at still quite a rate of knots. Um, and that there is, yeah, there's plenty of scope for if you can get a book out quick enough, then it's going to have a longer lifetime. Uh, but it doesn't have to necessarily be a paper copy. I think it opens up uh, the possibility to write smaller uh, but more precise books that cover uh, that, that don't cover everything from A to Z. Uh, you, I, 
the whole ebook thing, uh, in my mind, would uh, and not have a print version at all. Uh, would make it easier to just divide things up in smaller chunks and sell them individually instead of having to write the Bible every time. Yeah, I'm just finishing up my book about AS 400s, guys. Good. I hope, uh, hope you'll, hope you'll you look a, into it. If you need a tech reviewer, don't don't call me. But <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> I can't find the start menu on it. <laughs> oh, so it's Windows 8. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I like the concept. And almost down to making a book modular means that people will buy the, intri- the useful bits of the book rather than, you know, I remember buying an, a whole, this is going back a long time ago, buying a whole exchange book because I needed to work out, I was doing something about exchange 2000 restores. Um, and I ended up having to buy an entire book with about 15 to 20 chapters that I didn't read for one chapter that I actually needed. And it would have been nice to potentially have just bought the chapter that I needed rather than the filler. Um, and if that dis- discourages people from writing filler, then that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think so too. Get, uh, most, I, I, I guess most people who get into writing books now are used to writing smaller blog posts anyway. Yeah. Uh, so if you apply the same kind of mentality to book writing, that would be a, would probably be a good way to do it and divide it up into small chapters and release them individually. And you can buy the whole thing for X amount and you can buy one chapter for, for another amount. Um, and that's it. I don't, I don't see why, why you shouldn't be able to do that. Or just char- start charging a subscription fee for your blog and what, you know, similar. Yeah, you, you, you could probably do that as well. Have exclusive content to subscribers only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not too sure. I mean, that's not really working out so well for the New York Times, is it? No. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think there's... There's a place for a paywall on blogs, but if people, the, the fact that people now there are a lot of books in in the not in the public domain, but you know books on the market that are just a collection of either newspaper articles or blog posts, um, and all they've done is really just some copy and pasting and maybe a, little, a bit of formatting change to, to turn that from a number of blog posts into a book. Um, so yeah, I suppose in that way you've kind of all the content is there actually available for free if you need it. Uh, but if you then wanted, you know, an offline coffee or something, um, it, you, that would be harder to sell as an ebook if those blog posts were already out there. Yeah, yeah. and you, you're effectively charging for that blog post. Um, I don't know if you're going to make much money doing that. Yeah, but is it really Possibly. about making money or is it about uh, making kind of a name for yourself at the end. I'm not writing a book to make any money off it. I, I know I'm not going to be on the New York Times best top best selling list with my project. So it's it's not about any monetary or monetary reward at all. It's about basically about trying to. To be honest, it's basically about having my name in a printed book. Yeah, that's it. That's, it's, it's, that's it's a bucket it. list thing, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's I want to take that off. I've done that. 
Yeah, I'd like something other than a true crime novel. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's weird. <laughs> Wait, this is kind of funny, though, uh, because I think it was yesterday I saw some someone who had taken the whole of everything that Microsoft released of documentation for Windows Server 2012 R2 and combined everything into a huge PDF file that you could download into one file. Wow. Which made no sense to me at all. Well, you know what? There's always some people that are going to make some sense out of that and associate that guy's name with that document bundle, right? Yeah, sure, but why would you want to do that? I mean, if if someone had taken uh, an, uh, t taken documentation and put it into chunks with related stuff. I mean, you could get all your file server stuff there, all the uh, uh, print server stuff in that bundle. And you, if combined, if you downloaded everything, you had everything. But putting everything into one file, it, we, we were talking about dividing books into individual chapters you could buy. And this guy did the opposite. He took everything online and put it into one big file. <laughs> did he sell it or... No, I don't. No, I, I hey, don't. Here's a I don't big so. file. It's it's just a. a uh, I I just think it's a combination. He took all of the documentation and put it together in one documentation pack or whatever. Doc bundle. But yeah, but in one singular file, you PDF file, you, you download. Come on. Okay. I know some companies who still offer that as one of their documentation uh, methods. Yeah, a little weird, but uh. yeah, I, I I can understand the need to have these the documentation offline, and in some cases that's fine, but bundling it in one package, one singular file doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, harder to find stuff, I suppose. Yes. So okay, guys, let's uh, wrap up this episode. It's been it's been a been a pretty good one. I like I like this. Uh, us trying it on our own here a little bit. We still have some interesting things to talk about, right? Yeah, at least we say interesting a lot. Yeah, yeah, we say interesting, or we, we like the sound of our own voice. Haven't figured that out yet. But um, thanks a lot, guys, for listening to VSoup39. As usual, you can catch us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.com.